We have seen what glory is and how Jesus was glorified by the Father and we know that we need to follow His example, endure the God-ordained suffering and hold on to the hope of the glory that is promised. That's the attitude we should have. I'm expecting suffering, but the suffering is the suffering that you ordain, not the suffering I cause upon myself, but the suffering that God has ordained for us to go through. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. Amen. God is good all the time. <laughs> what a pleasure. What a precious pleasure it is to, to spend time in His presence with you. And, um, and to praise our God. Thank you, Jesus. How many of you here were here on Friday, on Good Friday? All right, wonderful. Welcome back. Thanks for coming back. And um, for those who weren't here on Friday, we, this weekend we are busy with a mini-series that we're calling From Suffering to glory, from suffering to glory. And um, on Friday, we spoke about son of suffering. And today, because he has risen, we can speak about the son of glory, <laughs> the son of glory. And when I embarked on preparing for this weekend, I don't think any, anything could really prepare me for what was about to happen, what happened on Friday, what I'm trusting God for today. I believe He's going to do something amazing in our midst. And I want, you, I want to ask you again that each one of you will make a choice right now to be open, ready, and willing to receive from Him. Are you ready and willing to receive from Him? Amen. Because he is here and he is ready. The Bible says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. So draw near to him. Amen? Awesome. We have a series scripture for this very short series. It's Romans 8 from verse 14. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit that you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Comma, if indeed we share 
in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. If we share in his sufferings in order that we can also share in his glory. And on Sunday, we saw how Jesus suffered, how he was, it was prophesied that he would suffer and that he did suffer and his own moment in the garden of Gethsemane where he was torn before all of it happened. And we looked at many scriptures that tell us that the Christian life is and will be marked by suffering while in this world. And it may be difficult for us to hear that, but Christ is our example in everything. And the same way that he suffered in order to step into glory, the same applies for us as children of God. Today, we're going to talk about the son of glory, the good news. And I want to talk to you about the word glory. In, Christ, in Christianese, <laughs> in the Christian world, we have all these words that we easily throw around. But when you stop and ask someone, hey, what does faith mean to you? What does grace mean to you? What does all these things mean to you? And then we stop at a word like glory, I find that many people are not exactly sure or they've got some vague idea. How many of you before you walked in here today have an exact idea of what glory is and could come up right now and explain it to us? Anyone? Well, then it's good that I'm teaching on it. So, <laughs> so the word glory, we know it in, in English, but in the Bible, there's a word in the ancient Hebrew language that the best way I can pronounce it, I don't know if it's exactly right, it's kavot. It comes from the verb kavat, which means to weigh, to weigh something. So when you say that someone or something has kavot, it means that it has been weighed and found that it has value, that it has weight, significant weight. There's another reference that says that the, the Hebrew root for glory is weight, which also can mean honor, respect, reverence, importance, and distinction. Another reference said it means importance, again, weight. The word deference, which some of you may not know, this means a posture or tone of submission and respect towards that which is glorious. It can, it can speak to a heaviness, a weightiness. It brings out respect, honor, and majesty. And there's many other references that basically say the same thing. But I want you to imagine, I want you to see this thing. When you say the word glory, it talks about a weightiness, a spiritual, special kind of value. In the Greek translation of the New Testament, they assign the word doxa to the word glory. 
Originally, the word actually means to appear or to seem, but then they assigned that to doxa to mean dignity, glory, honor, praise, and worship. So as we can see, when, when I say glory, when we read the word glory in the Bible, it's so much more than just those few letters. It is to know that when I say something like, he is the king of glory, he is the God of glory, I have to know that it encapsulates all these elements as well. And when we say son of glory, it's not just a phrase, it's not just a word that I'm cheaply putting there. It literally carries the weight of the beauty, the majesty of Jesus Christ. Amen? So when we speak about this word glory, I want you to imagine a, a scale. Like when you weigh something, a scale does what? It tests the weight of an object. It measures the mass of something. In the same way, suffering measures or tests the weight of someone's faith. It tests your perseverance, your character. And the result will either be that the person was found wanting or that they are worthy of receiving glory and being glorified. In other words, whether value can be attributed to them. Because Jesus willingly suffered and endured this suffering till the end, he was glorified by the Father. And what we are learning this weekend in this passion story, in the Passover lamb story, is that we as the children of God, the disciples of the way of Jesus, we are instructed to expect suffering. That it will test us, but that if we endure and stand, we will be glorified as well. We will be found having value. And that's what I believe Holy Spirit wants to reveal to us today. Because Jesus is our example in all things. Amen? I'm going to start with an angle that might be a little bit unexpected to some of us, but this is where I felt God led me as I was studying. And I'm going to take us to the story of Lazarus. Have you heard of Lazarus? Anyone? All right. This is a story about a man who was dead, but made alive again. A sort of foreshadow of our King Jesus. As we read parts of the story and reflect upon it, I want you to take notice of the words glory and glorified. It comes in the story quite a few times. If you don't know the story very well, go and read it. I'm kidding. <laughs> the scene is that there are three people that were very close to Jesus who needed him to come and be present and do a miracle. That was their need. That was their request. But he didn't do 
what they wanted immediately or in the way that they were hoping for. Any of you ever prayed something desperately from the Father and he didn't do it to the when and the how that you were hoping for? You're not alone. Jesus knew that his friend Lazarus was sick and that the two ladies he loved dearly were worried and afraid. In other words, he knew that they were suffering. Jesus knew that they were suffering. But he didn't jump from what he was doing and ran to help them. He didn't rush to take their immediate circumstances away in the timing that they wanted or in the way that they wanted. Let us read a few portions of scripture from this story. I'm going to read John 11 verse 4. I'm going to skip to verse 21 to 27 and then skip again to verse 39 to 44. But do yourself a favor and go and read this whole story. It's really powerful. Verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, The sickness of Lazarus, Lazarus is not unto death, but, the, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 21, we're dropping down on the story. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, Jesus, if you had just showed up, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he'd been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. In this verse, he's referring to verse 4, where he said to her, the glory of God will be revealed and the, and the Son will be glorified. Now he says to her, when she's saying how much death is stinking, I did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you 
sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Jesus said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then he reminds them, did I not say to you that you would believe, that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Why did Jesus choose to not end their momentary suffering? Why? Why did he choose not to relieve the momentary suffering? Because he knew He knew ahead of time about the glory to come out of the suffering and how much greater it would be, how much greater the glory would be compared to the challenging immediate circumstances. Do you see that the sickness, the thing causing the suffering both in Lazarus and in the women is for the glory of God and the glorification of his son. How? How can sickness glorify God? God will get the honor and the praises and the thanks and Jesus will be confirmed as the Messiah, the son of the living God, the Christ. That is how sickness will serve God's glory. Notice how Jesus even says it in his prayer. He says that he says this for the benefit of those around him witnessing all of this. Why? Because he knew that they would spread the story. And ultimately, it would be written down in the word of God and would become an integral part of the word of God. And that one day, some singer in Somerset West will read it to a bunch of people in a primary school hall. And it will change their lives. Lazarus suffered sickness and death. He went through it. The woman suffered emotional pain and heartache and the hurt of losing a loved one. And when Jesus came, I didn't read that part, but when Jesus came, we found the shortest verse in the Bible is in the story. It says, Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. He loved Lazarus and he loved the woman and he had compassion on them. But this miracle caused many Jews to believe in Jesus. But it also was the catalyst for the full-on persecution by the Jewish leaders to kill Jesus. It did both. The suffering caused a miracle. The miracle was a catalyst for the suffering of Jesus. A few chapters later in the book of John, we see an amazing scene playing out Jesus had his last supper with his disciples and he told them what was to come and he then said to them he will speak to them no longer in figurative language but plainly 
He was teaching them in this moment that the day is coming that they will not have to ask him, Jesus, anything, but that they can ask the Father anything in his name. And it will be given to them and will be done for them. Then he goes on to say, the Father loves them because, he, because they loved him and then tells them he came from the Father and will be returning to the Father. That is how it ends. And I want you to pick it up in chapter 16, at the end of chapter 16, because we need to be reminded every now and again that the Bible was not written in chapters and verses. That came later. So the end of chapter 16 is a continuing thought into chapter 17. I'm going to show it to you. John 16 from verse 31. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? He's asking the question because when he was speaking plainly to them, they said, now we believe you are the son of God. So he's, he's saying, now you believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, and now has come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. Can you imagine being a disciple? You just said to Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. And he goes, the time will come when you will scatter and leave me alone. Jesus, that's offensive. What about their feelings? What about how those words will cut them to the heart? Jesus doesn't care about how it might make them feel. He cares about the truth. And he cares about his mission. And about the greater thing that's happening here. He says, and yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. Even though you guys will scatter and leave me, I'm never alone. I love walking into a restaurant when I go there alone or a coffee shop to just work or something. And I walk in alone and the waiter says, are you alone? And then I go, I am never alone. <laughs> and then they go, weirdo. But it's a great way to preach the gospel. No, I've got Jesus with me. Do you have Jesus with you? Are you alone? You don't have to be alone. <laughs> it's a great way. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus, you're the son of God. We believe in you. You're going to leave me. You're going to be scattered. And in this world, you will have trouble. Wow. Sure. Thanks, Jesus. Sorry, can we just make sure the PR department filters that first before we put it in the Bible so people will read it? This is very hard to digest. In this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. Another translation says, take heart. For I have overcome this world. He is telling us two realities the whole time. There will be suffering, but there will be glory. John 17 from verse 1 to 7, this is going from the end of chapter 16 straight into this. Jesus spoke these words that you will have trouble in this world and everything else he said. He lifted then his eyes to heaven and said, so in front of his disciples, he prays to the Father. And they witness 
the most incredible prayer. Please go and read the whole of chapter 17. It will blow your mind. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. That your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life. This is eternal life. You want to know what eternal life is? This is it, Jesus' own words. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is to know the Father and to know his Son. Jesus goes on to say, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, listen to this church, it will change your life. He says, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Woo! Now park that for a moment. Can you see that Jesus uses the words glorify knowing that his greatest suffering is about to begin? He says, I know the hour is coming for me to be glorified. What he is saying is that I'm about to step into my greatest suffering. Holy Spirit, minister to us. He knows that he will suffer and that he has to suffer to achieve his mission of giving eternal life. And eternal life that they may know God the Father and Jesus. And again, he asks to be glorified, but notice he asks to be glorified with a specific type of glory. The glory which he as the Son had before time began, before the world was, and he was with God. John 1, have you read John 1? In the beginning was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. Jesus is the Word who was there from the beginning. He says he wants this glory. He petitions his Father who made all things, by the way, through him, for him, and to him, He petitions his father to glorify him with the glory he once knew before the foundation of the world. Can that just sink into your mind and your heart for a moment? This petition that he is asking of his father. He is asking for the weight of the eternal presence of a holy God that was always there, even before creation. Just meditate on that for one second, please. Now in the same prayer of Jesus Christ in John chapter 17, we're gonna drop down to verse 20. The whole time, Jesus is praying for his disciples. And then he says, I do not pray for these alone, these 11. I do not pray for them alone. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. Why? Why do I pray? What am I praying for them? 
that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus is praying for the unity of the body of Christ. Why? Because when we are united, the world will know that God sent Jesus. That's a whole other sermon that I'm not going to get stuck into right now. But listen to this next sentence. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. Why did I give them my glory? That they may, may be one just as you, we are one in them and you in me. That they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you sent me. He says it again. And have loved them as you have loved me. Wow. Jesus asked the Father for the glory he had before the world was. Did you read that with me? He's asking for that glory. Now he says to the Father that the glory the Father had given him, he has given to his disciples and those who will believe because of their word. If you are a born again Christian who has really given your life to Christ, you have access to the glory that Jesus experienced with the Father before time began. He says this is for his disciples and those who will believe. We have access to that glory. Can we take a moment and try to wrap our tiny minds around that? Have you ever prepared a gift for someone and you have it ready and you wanted to maybe surprise them so you put it somewhere where they need to first find it? The gift is there. It's ready. It's for them. But they have to find it, they have to open it, and they have to receive it. Until it was found, opened, and received, it remains a gift that is available, but not received. Is it possible that God the Father, His Son Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is standing daily with the gift of his glory for all believers but we just haven't found it opened it and received it is it possible when I read this and I look at the church of the world at the moment I don't think we get it I don't think we get it. And I don't think 
we get how important it is for us to be united in God and how it is our most powerful evangelical tool that when the church of Christ is one, the world will look at us and go, wow, Jesus must be real. But when they look at a church that is divided, that can't even agree on what to wear or what to sing or where to park, they go, it's just a bunch of religious nuts. There's no life. There's no love. There's no grace. They preach a Jesus that I cannot see. You can get angry at the world, but why would you get angry at someone who hasn't met Jesus? They will keep living like someone who hasn't met Jesus until they meet Jesus. I don't know about you, but it's an encounter with God that changed my life. It was meeting him for real that changed my life. I hope it's the same for you. So think of yourself before that moment. And now realize that everyone that has not met him yet, they are the same as you were before you met him. Suddenly you will have grace for that person. And you will love them because Jesus' love through you will show them who Jesus is. Amen? What is this glory that Jesus is speaking about and saying he has given us. What is it? This glory that was there from the start. As I read the verses and study the subject, I can see more and more that the hope of glory after suffering is to be with the Father, to be one with the Father. That is the ultimate glorious experience is to be with the father to be in relationship with him now here on earth we do not enter we do sorry to be in relationship with him now here on earth is to enter into a part of the glory just be just because we step into relationship with him and i believe we gain and can gain more let's call it glory access as we truly draw near to him consistently some of you are expecting something else, that the glory is something more spectacular than just being with the Father, being one with Him. But see how desensitized we have become, that we don't think that is something of value. Because none of you got excited when I said that. You're just staring with me, staring at me with blank faces like, oh, that's nice. Why is that? Why do we not get excited about the fact that we have access to the glory of God through relationship with him? Could it be that you were sold a gospel? That's not true. Could it be that you've been hurt by the church, by Christians? Could it be that you just don't believe this word of God? What is the reason? Could it be that you've just never tasted the true glory of our God? that you've never drawn, really drawn near to him, expecting to be with him. I know I have definitely experienced the manifest presence of God many times in my life. 
in my private prayer and praise and worship sessions, but also during church worship and word. Or while I'm leading worship, I will experience the weight of his glory, the presence of his glory. It's a tangible, spiritual experience. And I hope you've had it as well. And if you haven't yet, I'm trusting that it will happen for all of us today. If we can already taste such glory, this side of heaven, can you imagine what it will be like to actually be in heaven in our glorified bodies? Yeah. And that right there is exactly what these passages and other passages like this reveal. We have a hope. We have a hope to reach this level of glory with God the Father. And that hope drives us to diligently and persistently endure through suffering, trials, and tribulations. When we know there's a glory with God the Father. I want you to understand something. There is a part of this glory to experience now. I know this because I've experienced it. But it's a taste of what is to come. And there's a hope. And there's a type of glory that when you go through a trial, when you go through suffering, when you face the giants of this world, when you are persecuted for the good news, for the truth of the word of God, there's a type of glory that you experience that as you go through it and it's tough and your flesh is suffering and your mind is suffering, but in your spirit, you are strong, you are fervent and you know that God is with you. That is a type of glory that we get to experience right now. It's not just about being in a place where there's a, some bad music playing and you go, woo. It's not just that. We can experience His glory that way. But I believe His glory is actually made for day-to-day living for Him and changing the world for Him. Now I want to take us to a scene that many churches will be reading today as we think of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're gonna look at the moment after Jesus' crucifixion, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He did suffer unspeakable torture and pain. He suffered separation from God, and he suffered death. There was deep darkness over the land. The veil in the temple tore from top to bottom. Jesus said, Tetelestai, it is done. He breathed his last. He was taken down. He was buried in secret. Then it was quiet. The silence of Saturday. Luke 24 from verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women met with the, uh, women with them, came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They, then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, the angel said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He 
is not here but is risen. They first give them a truth bomb. Like we're going to do at the men's conference, buy our tickets. He's not here. He's risen. Then they give them a reminder. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. He told them. He told them. Have you ever as a parent told your child that what will happen to them should they do certain things? Don't do that. The consequences will be the following. And then they go. And then they do it anyway. Because why? They did not really listen. This is what they did. Like, Lord, I know you're saying you're going to die, but it's, it's too hard to hear. So I'm just going to ignore it. I know you say we need to suffer, but it's really hard to hear. So I'm just going to ignore it. Why? Are you looking for the living among the dead? When he reminds them, it says in the following verses, they turned around, away from dead things, and they went to tell the good news to the disciples. Because where were the men? They were hiding from the Jewish leaders who were trying to kill them. Where were the women? At least they were at the tomb. <laughs> I'm going to read another account of the same scene from the book of John. John 20 from verse 11. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting. One at the head and the other at the feet. Where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said, to, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around, away from dead things, and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was him, because he's in a glorified body and she was not expecting to see him you can only see what you expect to see in the spirit come on Woo. Jesus said to her, Jesus said to her woman why are you weeping whom are you seeking he was starting to write a song she supposing him to be the gardener said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. First he said to her, woman. She didn't realize who it was. Then he says, Mary. What does that mean? I know you. I see you. You actually know me too. I'm just reminding you by saying, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and to your God. 
Jesus was always on mission. Mary is trying to have a moment. Jesus, let us just stay here. And he's saying, go tell them, I'm ascending. I'm on mission for the kingdom. The women who came to the tomb were suffering. They were sad. They were afraid for their lives as the leaders were trying to kill them. But mostly, they were devastated that Jesus was dead. They came prepared to find a dead body. They were prepared to find death. But they found a resurrected body of Jesus Christ. Mary had an encounter with the glorified new version of Jesus Christ. And, he, and she became the first one to share the good news, the fact that he is risen. Amen? Now, I want to take us to New Testament verses. Because of what Jesus did and because of what, what we read there, because it happened and because he overcame death, this is what the Bible says God, the Father, how he, the fact that God has glorified Jesus because of what he did. We're going to read these scriptures together. Hebrews 1 from verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Through him, Lord, glorify me with the glory that I once knew before the world was made. You know that time just before you made the world through me? Man, you are not impressed. Jesus, help me. Listen to this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Yo. After he had provided purification for sins, after he had provided purification for sins, after he had suffered, after he went to the cross and died, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Which is where? With the Father, where he experienced the glory that he once experienced when the world was not made yet. Woo! This is where Jesus is. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Philippians 2 verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being a, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, suffering. Therefore, because he suffered, because he humbled himself, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, to the glory of God the Father. What are the key ingredients to Jesus being glorified? Humility and suffering. What does the glory that follows humility and suffering look like? It looks like being exalted to the highest place, receiving the name above all names. For what purpose? To glorify the Father. Can you see the connection? The Son radiates the glory of the Father, which then radiates back onto the Father. They are one, and the glory is just doing this the whole time. What is our word for the year? Radiance. Can you see it? I need you to get this, church. He is our example in everything. Now, how does this apply to us? There is hope and glory in suffering. There is glory after suffering. We have seen what glory is and how Jesus was glorified by the Father and we know that we need to follow his example, endure the God-ordained suffering and hold on to the hope of the glory that is promised. That's the attitude we should have. I'm expecting suffering, because you are, but the suffering is the suffering that you ordain, not the suffering I cause upon myself but the suffering that God has ordained for us to go through. Romans 5 from verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our? We also glory in our? We also glory in our? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Come on, drop a beat, we can do a song. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love had been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his Blood, thank you Jesus for the blood applied. We've been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God. We glorify God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. 
Glory is to be reconciled with the Father. This follows in our series scripture. This next bit that I'm going to read is from Romans 18. In our series scripture, we read up until verse 17, where it says, if we suffer the same things as Christ, we will be glorified. Now verse 18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Who is supposed to save creation? The children of God. Because in the beginning, He gave us dominion over everything in creation. We gave it away. Christ brought it back. And now He wants us to save creation. I'm not talking about being a tree hugger. I'm talking about understanding the glory that you have access to as a child of the living God. James 1 from verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, sufferings of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, the same word we got in Romans 5. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. Do you want to be pure, do you want to be clean? Do you want to be mature, perfect, complete, lacking nothing? Anyone? Count it all joy when trials of various kinds come your way. So when the next trouble comes tomorrow at your work or wherever it might be, and you go, Ooh, this sucks. No, go, woohoo! Come on, trouble. I am a king of the living God. I'm a son of the living God. And I can stand and endure and walk through this. Why? Because my God is with me. Imagine if every Christian in the world actually listened to that verse and did it. Oh, nee, maar jy weet, is erg moeilik. Um, my leven is so swaar. Hoe gaan het met jou? Kan ik klaar nie? Rarig. You are greeting me by telling me how bad it's not going. Really, saint, child of God, are we really going to let those words come out of our mouths? Can I clarny? No, I can't complain, eh? Well, if you try really hard, I'm sure you can. What if you tried in another direction? How are you doing? I am glorious. How are you? I suddenly feel better. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 4. We read this last well, Friday, but I want to read it again because it's so good. From verse 6. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. He has made his light shine so that we can see the glory of the face of Jesus. Come on. Woo. 
We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile jars of clay containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power, whose great power? Whose great power? You have power as a child of God. You are not the one who gives the power, but you have the power. You've received the power for a reason. <laughs> this makes clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. That is why we never give up. We never give up. We never give up. Because we have power that's from God. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Every day. For our present troubles are small. Our present troubles are small, man. Shut up. They are small and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Yo. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things we cannot see. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Colossians 3 from verse 1 to 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ Jesus. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. In other words, don't set your mind on sufferings, temporary sufferings. Set it on heaven. Set it on glory. For you died. Some of us Christians need to remind ourselves that we have died and are alive in Christ, that we have the mind of Christ. If you met Jesus right now and you ask him, how are you? Is he going to say, can't complain? So if you greet like a worldly person, you don't have the mind of Christ. Heinz, this offensive. I don't care. I'm going to offend you into the kingdom. I care more about where you spend eternity than how you feel right now. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Jesus is described as the firstborn of many brethren and the firstborn from the dead. Jesus knew that he had to suffer, why he had to suffer, and he also knew the glory that would come after the suffering. Will the band please join me on stage? And even though that is true, he did not suffer to get the glory. He knew he was going to suffer. He knew he was going to receive glory. But his motivation was not the glory at the end of the suffering. It was to please the Father. What is your motivation for living the life that Christ has called you to? He did not give to get. He gave because he and the Father are one. 
And the father asked him to do this. He sent him on this mission. Amen. And Jesus asked him, Lord, if it's your will, please let this cup pass from me. He had the most intimate, quiet, son-father moment. And the father said to him, you got to do this, my boy. In the same way, saints, children of God, my fellow church members, we need to accept the fact that this Christian life, we lived from true salvation, from a true relationship with Jesus, it will be filled with some suffering, some trial, some tribulation, and some difficult circumstances. It will. Stop thinking that it won't. Stop expecting a day where you will wake up with no trouble. That only comes when we go to Him. But when you wake up in this world, you are on mission. You are on mission for the kingdom. And when we are on mission for the kingdom, we are in a war. And a war is tough. There's a fight going on. But the Bible promises that you've been given weapons that are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, arguments, and lofty ideas, and that you can take every thought captive under the authority of Christ Jesus. And the Bible says that that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the air. But we have weapons. The helmet of salvation. The breastplate of righteousness. The shield of faith. The sword of the word of God. The shoes of the willingness to proclaim the gospel. We have it. The same way we have access to glory. Amen? The belt of truth. I forgot the belt of truth. But at the same time, while we know that this is true, we need to know and accept that it's only temporary and that we have the promise of never being alone as the Father and the Holy Spirit are always with us and that one day, we will be glorified with God. And we have a glimpse of His glory while here on earth. Let your will be done, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We are glory bearers for Christ. (laughs) Some of you don't know it. (laughs) I want you to know that God is standing, the Father is standing with the present of His glory. I want you to take this moment as we're going to worship again. I want you to take this moment. Come and fetch the symbols of communion. Go back to your seat. And as you take the bread and the juice, the symbol of His body and His blood, I want you to make a decision to receive the finished work of Jesus on the cross, which also means you receive the glory that is available in Christ Jesus for us right now. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church Podcast message of the week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. 
May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.